Good morning, everyone. I'm excited to be here. So uh, we are going to be uh, looking at today Philippians chapter 1, verses 18b through 21. 18b, it's just the start of the next paragraph. You find Philippians 1.18, you notice it's split between two paragraphs. We're starting in the end, uh, or in the beginning of the second paragraph. So Philippians 1.18b through 21. Yes, And I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Good morning, church. Uh, I am incredibly grateful to be here this morning. Of course, I'm grateful to be here just in general to worship with y'all as my, as my family, but I'm also specifically grateful to be here preaching the word of God. And even more specifically, I am grateful to be here preaching this specific sermon, uh, mostly because there was almost no chance at all that I was going to be preaching from this passage uh, or preaching this sermon at all, not because I didn't want to and not because JT and Tony didn't trust me to, uh, but because if it weren't for the fact that, you know, JT had stuff going on this week and Tony's out of town, there would there's no way I was going to be the one able to preach this sermon. I would have had to physically fight the both of them over uh, preaching this passage because uh, it's such a beautiful passage. And Tony is very, very obviously stronger than I am. And Tony and JT has that that reach and that leverage. He's I have a, I have a disadvantage on both fronts. So um, uh, fortunately, uh, things worked out this way. I say fortunately for me, as in a selfish way. But um, in any case. All jokes aside, I really, I really am honored to be here and, and to have the opportunity to preach on this passage uh, because it's been so formative to me personally and, and specifically to me and, and has to, such an effect on my outlook on life and, and on the word of God and, and on the Lord himself. So um, Philippians 1.21, I'm going to read this again. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This verse is often seen as a true encouragement for believers. Amen. Um, it is used as a, as a rallying cry for those of us experiencing hard times. Yes, amen, good, this is, this is right. I'm glad for that. Uh, honestly, if you look for a coffee cup with this verse on it, you'll find a hundred, thousands really online, and then you'll probably find five at the nearest thrift store. Um, but really, the honest truth about this verse for me is, if I had to sit down and make a list of, of the verses in the Bible that really challenged me personally, that, that really had an impact on me in, in terms of conviction, uh, really verses that make me uncomfortable with my life at the time or really up to this day, this would definitely be in my top five verses that challenge and convict me. Mostly because this is a really intense claim. This is, this is the epitome of moxie, right? This, uh, this, is, this is intense. But more than anything, what I see here is Paul being a man who's exemplifying one thing more highly, more powerfully than anything else. And, and this is a man who really knows what it means to have joy. And my goal this morning is to preach the word of God in a manner that is consistent with the character of God in the hopes that the Holy Spirit would do a work in each of us 
that simultaneously comforts and convicts us all to grow in this, in this joy so we can embody the same attitude that Paul has more and more as time goes on. So what do I mean about joy in this passage? Let's back up for a second to the, to the second half of Philippians 1.18, so 1.18b, where Paul says this. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And last week, JT introduced this passage to us. Um, so what we see here is Paul is requesting the prayers of these quote-unquote normal Christians, you know, people like, like you and me, uh, for God to bolster his courage. He knows he's in what most of us would consider to be a, a pretty uh, sticky situation, um, to say the least. He's being, he's being held in Rome in an environment that, that we could accurately compare to, to prison. In short, he's not living the cushy life, really. Uh, he's, he's on death row, as, as a matter of fact. Um, the Roman government is, is in the middle of deciding whether or not they're going to kill him. But that is, in fact, not at all Paul's biggest concern. No, his biggest concern, his, his number one priority, is knowing uh, whether or not he's going to keep his courage about him so he can continue to preach the gospel. Why? How, how can that be one's biggest concern? Because that is his primary objective. That's his, that's his priority number one. And how and why is this his primary objective? Because it's his greatest joy. It's what he wants to do the most. And we see then, in verse 21, Paul makes two very direct claims. If he lives, it's Christ. If he dies, it's gain. You see, Paul knows something that most people don't. He cannot lose in this situation. And, it, and it's not just that, right? Paul, Paul, yes, Paul can't lose, but the language Paul is using here is way deeper than that. It's not simply that he cannot lose. No, he, he, he will rejoice. And, and that indicates something stronger than just not losing. This tells us that he's not just fine either way. This tells us that no matter what, Paul has tremendous joy. Joy that could only be from God himself. And it's, and it's Paul's unusual phrasing, his, his verbiage here, that gives us the clearest idea of just exactly how impactful this joy is. For Paul, to live is Christ. To die is gain. But in the original Greek, the is in both of those statements, the word is, is simply implied. There's not an actual word in those spots. In English, we need a word there uh, for it to make grammatical sense to us, for us to, for us to get an idea of what he's saying. Uh, but if we translate it word for word, it would read something potentially more like this. For to me, living Christ and dying, gain. It's a sort of dramatic way to put it, but, but I point it out because I, I really love the emphasis that it puts on these statements. Uh, we, we use this kind of speech pretty often when, when describing a difference between things uh, in, a, in a specific circumstance, um, really options, right? So uh, what kind of sandwich do you want? 
oh, um, yeah, if it's McAllister's, smoky pepper jack turkey, if, if Subway, uh, spicy Italian. Uh, you know, what, so you want to play a game? What game do you want to play? Um, well, if it's raining, charades. If it's not raining, baseball. Like, that's the kind of language that we use when describing a situation in which we're prepared for either option, this or that. He knows the plan for either scenario and is prepared for, and even really, as we see, excited about either option. So Paul is giving that type, this type of answer to, to this question. So how will Christ be honored in your body? Paul's answer, to live, Christ. To die, gain. So what specifically, like physically, does this look like? And I want to take us through what Paul says, when Paul says to live is Christ, uh, for me to live Christ, uh, what does that mean? And so we're going to look at this through four different layers. If you're a notes person, here you go. Um, there, there's four points here. Um, so number one, this is, this is the first layer of Paul's statement here. To live as Christ is Paul's acknowledgement that his life is devoted to the teaching of the gospel. Paul's life is devoted to the teaching of the gospel. Layer number two, to live as Christ, is also Paul's acknowledgement that Paul's identity is found in Christ to the point that his very life is serving and honoring him. Paul's identity is found in Christ to the point that his life is serving and honoring him. Layer number three, to live as Christ, is Paul's acknowledgement that Christ is himself living in Paul. Christ is himself living in Paul. And after going through these three layers, then we have a decent grasp on that claim, and then that helps us get the second claim, that to die is gain. And that claim, the second statement, is, as we're going to see, actually the deepest layer, or layer number four of that first truth, that to live is Christ. So, layer number four of to live as Christ is that to die, gain. And as I go through all of these layers, I hope we can take the time uh, to examine our lives and our hearts and see what God can do in the lives and hearts of his people. And let's, let's celebrate where we see God's work in these areas of our lives and repent where we see the need to trust him more in these ways. There is no condemnation in Christ. Uh, please don't think of this as any sort of guilt trip. Uh, Paul's life is certainly a high bar to measure against, kind of. But it, it's, it's not at all unattainable. So that's why I say it's kind of, because this, this is, we can have the courage to say the same thing that Paul is saying here. Through the power of Christ, we can all grow more into this joy and passion for Jesus so we can confidently say, to live Christ, to die, gain. Amen. So, layer number one, Paul's life is devoted to the teaching of the gospel. We've been pointing this out uh, for a few weeks now, uh, but Paul is characterized by a passion and a zeal for the gospel of Christ. Where Paul goes, the gospel's advanced. JT said this like 59 times now, uh, which is a good call because we all forget, but let's remember this one thing. Where Paul goes, the gospel is advanced. 
From the moment he starts preaching the gospel to the day that he dies, there's almost nothing else that he seems to be doing. Yes, other things are going on simultaneously, right? Like he gets arrested, uh, he gets rocks thrown at him, uh, he gets killed in other ways, shipwrecked, uh, etc. But along the way, he's teaching people and planting churches. To that end, we need to know what is the gospel that Paul is preaching so constantly. To put it simply, Paul saw that Jesus himself is the gospel. We see Paul using the name of Jesus Christ as a synonym, as a direct synonym for the message he's preaching throughout most, uh, debatably throughout all of his letters to these churches. Uh, for example, we have Ephesians 3, 7, and 8. Can we get that uh, slide up on the, on the screen here? Ephesians 3, 7, and 8. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, here's what he's preaching, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then again, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, and I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come preaching to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we see here that this is Paul's idea of the gospel message. It's not, it's not merely a story or some stories about Jesus. Um, he sees Jesus himself as the embodiment of the good news of God. Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. Through him, we have redemption, forgiveness of sin, a way to have communion with God himself, a means to salvation. Yes, the gospel is the story about what Jesus did, is doing, will continue to do, but it's also the very fact that Jesus exists. His existence is the good news. He is the gospel. For Paul, to live is for this gospel to be advanced and the gospel's advancement is Christ's advancement. And for this, Paul rejoices. And yes, he will rejoice. Why? How? There, there are dozens of passages we could look at to describe Paul's passion, his zeal for the gospel. But I'll, I'll just read this one. Uh, Romans 15, 20, and 21, if we can get that up on the screen. Paul says it this way, very direct. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That's the word Paul uses. It's his ambition to see the gospel advanced. It's his life's goal. So, of course, if he's able to see this accomplished, he's going to rejoice. It's his, it's his goal. Uh, when you reach your goals, you rejoice because that's what you wanted. It was your goal. And so I find myself wondering this. What is my ambition? What's your, what's your ambition? I'm not saying that, that all of us has to have the same 
ambition. We don't have to all go out to the unreached people groups of the world. Uh, That would be awesome. I think that would be great, but I don't think that's how the body of Christ tends to work. I mean, Paul is preaching the gospel throughout all the nations, but you don't see everyone else then leave and go to all the other nations. Um, And and I I think that's how the body of Christ tends to be. It's not, not everyone is the same. He didn't tell them they needed to go anywhere, but I think, I think we should all ask ourselves, really, what our ambition is in terms of proclaiming the gospel. And it, it's, in fact, this very question that started my path toward preaching at all, because thanks be to God, uh, he has given me the ambition to, to preach the word of God. Only God could take someone who was his enemy and transform him into someone that loves the gospel enough to think about it, let alone talk about it, let alone be excited to talk about it. And so I, I think that that's an, a version of ambition, but not everyone needs to be teachers. In fact, the word says not every one of us should be teachers in a public sense. Uh, maybe for you, it's going to be to proclaim the gospel to your neighborhood or to your family or to your friends or, or any relationship you have, coworkers, et cetera. Uh, maybe it's just one person. Maybe, maybe your, your, really your ambition is one person, making sure the gospel gets to them. And that's, that's great, but I think we should, really what we should be doing is asking ourselves and asking God for our ambition. Regardless, if we ask for this ambition or if, we, or if we think to ourselves, what is our ambition? Let's pray that we would have a passion for the advancement of the gospel in, in some way, in a way that we can confidently say that for us to live is Christ. For us to live means Christ will be proclaimed. And in that truth, can we rejoice? But it's not only the preaching of the gospel that makes Paul's life a beacon for Christ. So moving on to layer two, when Paul says to live as Christ, he is, he is talking about his preaching of the word, yes, and he is acknowledging that his identity is found in Christ to the point that his very life is serving, serving and honoring Jesus. If you remember at the start of Philippians, Paul introduces himself and he introduces himself as a servant of Christ or as a slave of Christ. He does that at the beginning of this letter. This is how Paul sees himself. And for this, we will rejoice, yes, but it kind of seems strange, right? Like, of course, our context for servant, servanthood or for slavery is in regards to, to human masters and Humans make terrible masters. But Paul doesn't see only himself in this, in this position of, of servanthood or of slavery. In fact, he sees everyone in this context in one way or another. Uh, in, in, let's look at uh, Romans 6, 16 through 18. We have that on the screen, great. In Romans 6, 16 through 18, Paul says this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching 
to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Again, Paul knows the truth. Every person alive is a slave to something. But he rejoices because he is a slave to Christ and to righteousness. For him to live is Christ. Church, and I'm specifically speaking to believers now, know this. You are able to say already what Paul is saying today. For you to live, Christ, and to die, gain. Nothing I am saying today, nothing I'm bringing to you today, is making that more or less true. My aim is to help us gain confidence in this aspect of our identity. And through that confidence, may we find this true joy that Paul so clearly has. You belong to Christ, regardless of what your fears or your failures or anything else is telling you. He who began a good work in you is faithful and will carry it to completion. Only the Christian has this sort of peace and this sort of joy. Those who don't confess Jesus as Lord cannot have this sort of unconditional joy. Their happiness, their joy is entirely contingent, 100% dependent on their circumstances, on the things that happen to them. They are slaves of sin. They are debtors to death. They have to follow what sin dictates that they do until it literally kills them. This is the truth, the reality for those who do not follow Christ. But we, thanks be to God, have a joy that is only found and only found in the only thing that cannot change. Our joy is in the Lord. We ought to apply this truth, yes, to our actions and our thoughts, and we can always put in effort by the grace of God to be putting our sin to death and pursuing growth in holiness, but our identity is found in Christ because we are his. He's purchased us with his very blood. Not much has already been done. She's going to be so mad. My sister Marissa just got married yesterday. Uh, sorry, I, I won't, it won't be long. I'm not calling you up for long. Um, to my brother-in-law, Caleb Splitter. Um, she's probably not happy with me uh, that I'm pointing this out, but it's an important example. Um, so she was, up until yesterday, um, at, a, at approximately 1.30 p.m., uh, Marissa Chapman. But her name is not that anymore. She's no longer, I don't have a sister named Marissa Chapman. But here's the thing, she's right here. She didn't die. She's, she's, still, she's still here, but w- what's different? I mean, her, her identity, her, her name. In terms of, of her identity, now, for her to live, in, in a sense, if you'll take it this way, for her to live is splitter. And we, as the church, are the bride of Christ. We used to be our own, well, we used to think we were our own, right? We used to think we were single spiritually, but that's not even true. We were, we were slaves to sin. That was our identity. We belonged to sin. For us to live, sin. But Jesus has come down and claimed us as his own. We belong to sin, now we belong to Christ. For us to live, Christ, who we are, has changed. 
And that takes us into layer number three. So not only does Paul see his life as a method of sharing Christ through preaching the gospel, not only does he see his identity as coming from Christ as a servant of Christ or as a slave to Christ, but he is also acknowledging the fact that Christ himself is living through Paul. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, if we can get it up on the screen, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is why I've been referring to these ideas as, as layers. Um, yes, Paul knows that his life is going to lead to the, the advancement, the teaching of the gospel. But it's, it's deeper than that. Because he also knows that his life, his life is one of service to Jesus Christ. Um, but, but it's also deeper than that. See, the, the way Paul sees it, it's not his life at all. Um, it's, as far as he, he's concerned, he's, he's not alive anymore. He is so sold out to the will of God that whatever Paul was bringing to the table, whatever, whatever thing made him special or significant or unique or great, whatever he was doing to make him important, whatever he accomplished has been put to death. And the only thing that's left after that is what Jesus provides, which is Jesus himself. Does that sound a little extreme, maybe? Uh, it, it might seem extreme, but it's kind of par for the course for Paul. In fact, later, later in this very letter, later on in Philippians, I'll give you a second to turn a couple pages to Philippians 3, 8, and 9, uh, because he has this to say about everything that he has ever had or done. Philippians 3, 8, and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now we're talking. This, this, is, this is one, this is really the reason that I said today's passage is so convicting to me. Why it's so, uh, frankly, it's, it's kind of hard to read, to, to, to digest. Because this attitude that he has is, it seems unattainable. It's so, it's so wildly humbling. Because th this, this kind of idea, this has been a, a common prayer of mine for for so long now. I, I really want to be, honestly, I would love to be this passionate about anything, um, but specifically, obviously, I want to be this passionate about Jesus. I, I honestly, I, I want to be the guy that's, that's so excited about Christ and the gospel that people, that people wonder if I'm being too extreme about it, you know? Like, there, there's, yes, there's a lot to be said for, for wisdom, patience, consideration, uh, counting the cost, Yes, but the people who know me best know that that's kind of the way I'm inclined to be anyway. Uh, I'm a calculating individual. Like, I, I try to know the, the full situation, calculate the risks, rewards, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and, and I'm not saying that there's no place for that. And I'm not saying that's not a value, but, but this guy, this <laughs> Paul, I mean, this guy seems crazy. Uh, he says, he has suffered the loss, in fact, of all things and counts them as rubbish. That's, that's garbage. It's trash. Like, the, there are worse words I could use. I won't. But, like, he's, like, it's strong language what he's saying. Like, this is gross stuff that he's, that he's counting all other things in comparison to Jesus. And, in fact, really, he's counting them as rubbish so he can have Jesus. In my worst moments... I, I find myself trying to preserve myself uh, or my possessions or, or my relationships or, or, or how people perceive me. I, I find myself in, in this way of, of really trying very hard to control all of these things. I'm, I'm guessing, I, I mean, I'm pretty confident that I'm not the only one in the, in the room that's like this, but, but just in case, I'll speak only of myself, but... Um, Really, the reality in that situation is, uh, to be truthful, I'm not trusting God to do what's right with what I perceive to be things of my own. And the worst part of all of that is, those things, my, my identity, my, my, my name, my, the way people perceive me, whatever, those aren't mine to begin with. I don't have those things. And I don't, I don't want that to be me. I, I don't want to be a person. And Christian, here's the thing. Once again, as believers, we have already been given this same position as Paul is, is explaining, as, as he's describing here. We've been given this mind, and, and God wants us to know it. As he says, again, through Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christian, you and I, like Paul, do not need to fear the loss of our identity, our life, our possessions, our relationships, our very souls. We can't lose them. And yes, you're true. We cannot lose them because they are secured. But let's take it down a layer. We can't lose them because we don't have them. You can't lose what you don't have. They already belong to God. And he has given us new life that can't be taken away. Relinquished, destroyed. And why? Because it's not ours, it's his. He has it. He owns it all. He owns all of us. Christian, he is the master. We are slaves to Christ. And for this, we should rejoice. Amen. And we will rejoice. 
And generally, that's, that's a good summary of what we've covered so far. Let's, let's rejoice. Why, how can we possibly rejoice? Why do we rejoice? We rejoice for the same reason Paul rejoices in verses 18 through 20. Christ is honored in us, whether we live or die. And how do we know this? Well, for us to live is Christ. He, he empowers us to, to preach the gospel. Uh, he has given us an identity in him as his servants. And yes, he even lives through our very life. Certainly, this honors Christ, right? And then we have this other statement, to die is gain. And a quick statement on this fourth layer, it should be familiar, uh, maybe even obvious to some of us, but I'll say it just in case. Paul is referencing the fact that in his death, he knows he will go to be with God. He will be with Jesus. And yes, and he longs for that. Of course he does. We just, we just walked through all of the reasons why, why Paul, of course, would be excited to go to be with God. Therefore, for him to die is gain. And that's true for all believers. Yes and amen. Thanks be to God. When we, when we die, we will go to be with Christ and we should rejoice. But the question becomes this then. We know that's true. But how does our death bring honor to Christ? How did Paul's death, when he says, I know that whether I live or die, it will bring honor to Christ. How, how does our death honor Christ? And the short answer is this. Paul's death honored Christ. My death will honor Christ. Your death, Christian, will honor Christ because you will see it as gain. The reason your death will honor Christ is because you will see it as gain. Put another way, the fact that our deaths will bring us joy by finally uniting us with Christ in eternity is at the top of the list of ways that Christ is honored. The the number one thing, among the number one things that honors Christ is the fact that our death will bring us joy. Christian, if we look at the first statement in verse 21 and apply it to ourselves, as we've talked about this, we know we can. Uh, We know for us to live as Christ, our lives have been transformed to bring him honor. And we know that the greatest truth about our death is that it will bring us to Christ. And Paul knew, again, Paul knew the same thing. And many teachers over over the centuries have said, uh, what I'm about to say, if I knew who said it first, I would would give credit for them here. Um, But uh, just know I'm not claiming to, this is not my idea, right? But many great teachers assert that, that Paul might as well have been saying this. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is more Christ. Um, and, and, and church, that is true for us as well. For us to live is Christ, and for us to die is, to put it simply, more Christ. And the honor that Jesus receives from, from us knowing this truth is immense. The, this, the, the knowledge that that for us to die is gain is what magnifies the honor that Jesus receives from this. Jesus is more honored by our satisfaction in this reality that he has established for us. Even more specifically, it is our satisfaction in Jesus himself that brings him the greatest honor. I don't think I've made a pattern of, of quoting other 
people or, or things to that other than literal scripture. I, and I, I don't think it's bad practice. It's not a sense of pride for me, but uh, I just note this because it's typically not my style. That being said, this idea has been communicated so well by a man named John Piper that I, I felt like it was best to quote him here. Uh, Piper is the founder of a ministry called Desiring God. He's a pastor for decades, and um, he's an excellent writer and teacher. Um, and really, this very topic is, is one of the building blocks, one of the foundations for his entire ministry. Uh, he has this to say on verse 21. I am confident that Christ will be magnified in my dying. And the basis of that expectation, that Christ will be shown to be magnificent in my dying, is that I am going to experience my dying as gain. Namely, as Christ being more satisfying to me than everything that life has to offer. In short, God is most glorified in us when we, when we are most satisfied in him. And this church is what I hope we take away today. If you only remember one thing, please remember this. The mission statement of Freshwater is glorify God, advance the gospel. But at the core, the beginning of both of those two things is finding our satisfaction in God. What are our methods for glorifying God? We sing, we pray, we worship, we teach, we learn. But why do we do any of these things? Why, why would we do any of these things? Because he's worthy of these things. And how, how do we know he's worthy? Because he satisfies. He has shown to us his goodness. And the more we appreciate that goodness, the more we want to sing, the more we want to pray, the more we want to teach, the more we want to listen. Our satisfaction in God is the beginning of our desire to glorify God. And in that, God is glorified. But not only that, but we also talk about him. And, and why? Because people talk about the things that they care about. They talk about the things they admire. Maybe it's just me, um, but when I think something is really cool, when I think something is amazing, uh, as soon as I, when, I, when I learn to love it, when it satisfies me in one way or another, uh, people legitimately have to tell me to shut up about it. I'm, I'm not joking. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm often the butt of well-intentioned, honest, uh, really kindly jokes that, um, that I will give the occasional unsolicited TED talk to anyone who is willing to listen as soon as something, I, as soon as I find something mildly interesting, right? Um, but why? Because it really, because I want people to be as excited about it as, as I am. When something is exciting to me, I want to share it. What if that something for all of us was Jesus? What if, what if we sat down and tried to become more excited about Jesus? Like, what if that was a thing that we wanted to do? Because then we would talk about him. Glorify God. We glorify God because we have satisfaction in God. Advance the gospel. We advance the gospel because we want to talk about the gospel because we find satisfaction in God. That is the core of our mission statement. We find our satisfaction in God and God receives glory and his gospel is advanced. So how do we do this practically? What is, what's the way to foster this satisfaction in Jesus? How do, how do we grow in our love for Christ? 
Ready? It's profound. Meditate on the Bible, pray, sing to Jesus, sing to each other, talk about Jesus with the saints, come to church, worship God, share the gospel. You know, there's a difference between simple and easy, and I'm not saying that this is easy, but it's simple. <laughs> I, I, I hope you weren't expecting something more insane or off the wall than, than these things, because these are the vehicles that God has chosen for us to bring him glory and to bring us satisfaction. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And God is for the glory of God, which means he's for our satisfaction in him. We get to walk through life with the confidence that God wants us to be satisfied in him above all things. And God doesn't change. And God is always there to be appreciated. Every, nobody else has that. They have to find their satisfaction in things that, that wither away, that fade to dust. We have the benefit of finding our satisfaction in the only thing that is eternal. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And to bring it full circle, when these practices, our worship of Christ, our sharing of the gospel, become integral elements of our life, we can be all the more confident that we can say that these truths apply to us. We can know with certainty that for us to live, Christ, to die, gain. Church, I invite you to join me in reflecting, repenting, and celebrating. Let's reflect on our own lives. How, how satisfied are we in Jesus? Are we living our lives to proclaim Christ? Are we acting as if we're his, his servants, his slaves, his representatives? Are we remembering that our lives already belong to him? Let's repent of the ways in which we're trying to find satisfaction in ourselves or in the things that, that are not Christ, not from Christ. Let's repent of our lack of faith, our lack of trust, and, and our lack of remembrance of his goodness, his grace, his faithfulness. And let's celebrate the good things he's done, he's doing, and will do in our lives that will bring us satisfaction in him and will bring him glory. I love you, church. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, for the good work you've done and your faithfulness to complete it. God, we praise you for being a God that is so good and for, for generating hearts in us that can find satisfaction in you above all other things. God, we, we pray that that would become more true for us day by day, moment by moment. God, may we continue to find more satisfaction in you. Yes, because we get more satisfaction, God, but also because it brings you more glory. May that be the way our mind begins to work so consistently. God, please transform us from one degree of glory to the next into, into people who find our true satisfaction in you. God, thank you for what you've already done. And thank you for the evidences of, of your work in our lives, God. It's so clear the ways that you have done good things in the lives of so many of us here, in the lives of all of us who belong to you. 
So God, we pray that you would continue in that trajectory as we know that you will because you've promised to do so and you are faithful to complete the work that you began. Thank you, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.